Welcome to In Process, the NC Dance Festival podcast. I'm Ann Morris, Festival Director. For 30 years, the North Carolina Dance Festival has been building a strong network of choreographers, dancers, and audiences across North Carolina. In this podcast, I'll be diving deep into the risk-taking and dance-making that characterize the modern and contemporary dance community in North Carolina. We'll have artist interviews, behind-the-scenes insights into the 2020 season, and fun and important conversations about dance and the creative life. Whether you're a dancer yourself or just curious about the who, how, and especially the why of dance, we're glad to have you along for this journey. This week, we're bringing you a conversation with Helen Simino, artistic director and choreographer of Helen Simino Dance. As part of our North Carolina Dance Festival activities this season, we hosted a virtual community conversation with Helen on October 23rd, titled Finding Your Own Way Through the Dance Industry. Helen is originally from Quebec, and her home base has been Winston-Salem, North Carolina for several years now, although she typically travels widely for residencies and commissions. Her work has been presented nationally and internationally. An expanded list of Helen's commissions and residencies is included in the show notes, along with links to her webpage, but she was recently a fellow at Ailey's New Directions Choreography Lab and is the current choreography fellow at New York City Center. During this community conversation on Zoom, we discussed Helen's beginnings in dance, how to create your own opportunities in the dance world, how the pandemic has shifted Helen's way of working, and the powerful nature of collaborations in the creative process. You'll hear questions from some of our attendees and Helen's insight and advice. You'll also hear a cat in the background who is eager to get in on the discussion. We had such a great time talking with Helen and wanted to share this conversation more widely. So my name is Anne. I know many of you. I am uh, the festival director and one of two executive directors of the Dance Project. And our other executive director is here tonight as well, Lauren. Hey, Lauren. And... Um, on behalf of Dance Project and the Elon Dance Program in the Department of Performing Arts, I want to welcome you to this NC Dance Festival community conversation with Helen Simino. The Elon Dance Program, which is our sponsor for this program tonight, offers a BFA in Dance Performance and Choreography, a BS in Dance Science, and a Dance Minor. Their students have gone on to graduate school, danced professionally with companies, and presented choreography and dance films at festivals around the world. Most recently, one of their graduates, Julie Crothers, was named as the top 25 to watch in Dance Magazine. Helen Simino was a guest choreography at Elon in the fall of 2014, and they're thrilled to support her talk tonight about the career development and finding your way through the dance industry. So our conversation tonight will have a few different sections. Helen will start by speaking about her background and her company, and then we'll go into her journey through the dance industry. We'll also have the pleasure of watching an excerpt of Helen's newest work, Darling, followed by a discussion and an informal Q&A time. So now I'd love to welcome Helen. Uh, Helen has performed on the North Carolina Dance Festival twice, I believe, um, and we're thrilled to have you working with us this season as well. So thank you for being here tonight, and I will let you take it from here. Hey, thank you. I'm excited to be here. It's it's always a strange thing, these, these Zoom, um, connections because I always feel like I prepare myself that it's just not going to be the same but then there's something so satisfying to be sitting with all of you and and be looking at you and and getting ready to have a conversation so thank you for for making the step of like getting yourself to your computer <laughs> and and also the barrier a little bit of like any zoom fatigue that you're feeling at this point um I appreciate you making the time to chat um yeah, so, so my background, um, I'll try to give you a broad strokes uh, background. So I started dancing pretty late. I was a teenager when I started dancing and I, um, I did a little bit of dancing, um, like jazz dance and um, a little bit of, of ballet. And then I didn't know that you could be a professional dancer. I didn't know that that was a profession. Uh, I knew you could be a ballerina, but I didn't know you could do other types of dance um, as a profession. And so 
once I found that out, I just very naively was like, well, that's what I'm doing. And I didn't really know what it was about. And uh, I just knew that I loved how it made me feel. I, I loved how uh, connected I was to myself when I was dancing. I also connected to the people that I was dancing with. And the, there's something about dance, like in the small classes. And then in, in some of the, I did a summer program um, in Nova Scotia. And that was the first time where I got to dance with a lot of other people. And I remember feeling very connected and, and part of a community. And, and that felt pretty meaningful. Something I, I feel like I keep craving as, as I, I don't, I don't get sick of that feeling. It's like the thing about dance that I just love. It's a small world. We're all connected and um, seeing each other and, and running into people because we're all so interconnected that there's just this awesome surprise of you go take a class here or you, go see a show there and you run into people you didn't plan on seeing, but we're all part of this, this same love, love of people who love dance, I guess, in all kinds of ways. Um, and so I, I got really excited about dance and decided that I would apply to try to study it fully professionally and um, to the best of my ability. And I wasn't, um, I didn't have a lot of training, but I had a lot of, um, I was very, I'm always, I've always been very stubborn. So that helped me. So I got, so I got accepted into the school of uh, the arts, so NCSA for my senior year of high school. And I left, I'm originally from Eastern Quebec. So I left Canada. I left um, primarily, I had been grown, I grew up speaking French. I went to school in French. English was very much a second language for me. And I just was like, well, let's just see how this goes. And, and I moved to North Carolina and I was 17 and I had almost no dance training and I was entering into a program and I think it's probably best that I didn't really know how rigorous it was. Um, it, it sort of kept me from getting afraid of, of it. And I just, I, I just dove in and I was always kind of this underdog that didn't really know um, even the etiquette of class, like, Oh, we're supposed to go across the floor with the same group every time. Oh, I didn't know that. Or like, I would just like, step on people's toes and go the wrong way. But um, my class was pretty cool about it. They were all, a lot of them had been dancing for a really long time. And I think that they, I don't know, they just seemed to think, let's help Helen out. Like I didn't feel like I was um, looked down upon and that was really exciting. So, so I just kept with it. Um, and then from there, I graduated. I moved back to Canada for a little bit, then moved back to the States. And I ended up starting, um, making my own work pretty much right after I graduated from undergrad, making dance. I think, I think in the, um, the compositional classes seemed to be the only space in my schedule where I felt on equal footing with everybody else. Um, and so it was a space where I think I flourished and um, I didn't have an idea of what dance was supposed to look like or what a, what a well-crafted dance is what the ingredients are. I didn't really know. And I think that was okay for me that I could just um, not have a preconceived idea of what it was supposed to be. So I delved into that. So as soon as I graduated, um, just the reality hit me of it, it's like you can have a lot of training and good technique and have gone to a good school, but it's really hard to get work. <laughs> it's really competitive. Um, there's a network and it's, it's hard to just go cold to an audition and leave with the job. It does happen, but it's really not the reality for most, most people. And um, that was certainly not the reality for me. And so part of also why I was making work in the beginning was because I wanted to dance and I wanted to be out there. And there wasn't, I had work, but it wasn't consistent. It was freelance. It was, you know, I, I just wanted to be dancing all the time and if that meant I had to make it happen for myself, then that was something I was willing to do. And I really enjoyed making work and I enjoyed getting my friends together to make work. So my first, my first company, um, the, the group that started the company, those dancers were all my classmates. They were all like either in my class at NCSA or like a year earlier, a year after. Um, and, you know, we all started working together for fun and as a favor and I'd work around their schedules and we would do like small little festivals. And then, and then the idea to have a company came out of that really, because I, 
I realized that these dancers are never going to be able to prioritize my work in their schedules if I'm not paying them, <laughs> if I'm not giving them. I mean, sometimes I could pay them like a an honorarium when you get paid from the venue. And was, that was like at the emerging level, that was really small. But, um, but to really pay them an hourly wage for their work was something that became really important to me once I realized that these, these dancers are giving me a lot. And um, if I want to maintain these relationships and, and, and make sure that the work has a space to grow, the people that are there have to be, they can't be there at a sacrifice. They can't be, I can't be putting them in financial peril because they want to, they want to dance for me. Um, and so that's when I started the, the company. Um, I got, I didn't, again, didn't know what I was doing, but I just did it anyway. And I got together with a few people that I thought might have an idea about how to do this. And, and some of them were Pilates clients of mine who, um, that's, that was my, my main side job was teaching Pilates and teaching yoga. And so my Pilates clients really loved the arts and they really believed in me. And, and so I started there. I was like, okay, these are people who, who are older and who have an idea. They've served on boards. They know the nonprofit system. Like they, they didn't have any experience with dance companies specifically, but um, I felt like they, they were invested. And so those are my first board members. And one of them um, was a lawyer. It was a retired lawyer. So he helped us through his contacts to get our nonprofit status. And so from that, you know, one thing led to another and here we are 10 years later. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I think that the beginning, it's good for me to remind myself sometimes of why I started and understanding that that like why I started doesn't have to be the same reason I do it now, but for me it is. Um, and it reminds me of the, the, the initial intention and am I fulfilling that initial intention? And I come back to that a lot because I really wanted to have a company so that I could make work. I really wanted to be, I really want to be a choreographer. For me, it's not about a directorship that's separate from being a maker. And um, I think there's a lot of different companies at different formats. And um, I think that for me, if I had to choose one or the other, I really think of myself as a, as a choreographer. And the director part of it is really in service to creating an environment where I can support the people that are going to be making that dance with me. And so that means the dancers and that means also the, comp the composers, the, the other collaborators, costume designers, um, set designers and all of that. So to be able to have all those, those elements in place in order to make the dance is what's important to me and, and what guides me. And sometimes I've had different moments in my career where I start to meander and maybe make different choices about um, what I wanna focus my time and energy on. And then I've had to bring myself back because um, I, I realize I can't do everything well, I can't do everything at the same time. So I, <laughs> I like to think of that as like in chapters, like right now in my life, I really, this, I'd say the last couple of years, I've really had to refocus in on um, my voice as a maker and prioritizing creating my own work. And that meant that I had to take on different types of jobs and, and maybe say no to certain things because not because I didn't want to do it, but because I didn't have the time to do all everything. And there's another part of me that just feels like, oh, in another chapter, I might actually focus on something else, a different aspect of um, the dance career. Just like when I was in my early 20s, I was really focusing on dancing for other people. That was what I was interested in, in addition to making my own work. And then now it's like, I, I don't know that that's um, a priority for me right now. I don't think it's even a priority priority for me to be on stage anymore. I think I I really get mo like the most excited about being on the other side and and creating um, the work. Helen shared a brief excerpt of her latest work, Darling, which premiered in March of 2020. In the show notes, you'll find a link to Helen Simino Dance website where you can see images from this dance as well as a link to. Um, Helen's Vimeo page where you can watch an excerpt of the work as well. After watching, Helen spoke a little bit about some of the themes coming through in the work and the way she approached working with her collaborators. I think I, I'm in this, I really enjoy disrupting this idea of assumed power, of assumed power based on gender uh, or based on the size of the dancer and how 
how much power someone has even in, in the submissive or in yielding. And so I have this group of five dancers that um, I worked with on this that, and actually there were more dancers involved in the creation than just the five, but the, but the five that you see in the video, um, they're all such skilled performers and it allowed to be able to play with the subtleties of how they're seeing each other that might inform like who's in who's who's dominating here do we even know and i also was interested in this discomfort that the audience might have of not or anxiety of not really knowing who who's going to win or who's it who's leading and who's following, who's being dominant, who's being more passive, because throughout the piece, it just keeps changing. And it, it starts mostly with these duets. And then I expanded it to, um, you know, one person versus the whole group. And we played with that for a bit. Um, and then just the different ways that the dancers respond to um, someone else, either controlling someone else or them uh, being controlled. And there was a lot to play with there. Um, and so we did it for an hour. <laughs> we played with that for an hour. I, I wanted from the beginning for the costumes to be really a big part of the material creation. So we needed to have the costumes early on in order to experiment with them in order for that to happen. And Quinn was really great at giving us a bunch of different things to play with during different residencies. And then, you know, some things didn't make it back. Like some things were just totally shredded because the fabric wasn't strong enough, but we just really roughed it up and tried everything we could. And we even had some improvisational sessions where I would just say like, I just want you to push this fabric as far as it'll go and, and let's see how far it goes before it rips. Um, and we were able to play that way because it wasn't so precious that the, these were the costumes that were gonna be performed in. Um, but we found some really great fabrics that are very strong. And the, and the important thing for me was that they need to be able to stretch because I'm interested in the partnering aspect of it, but I'm also interested in defamiliarization and taking something that's you know, we're used to seeing, but making it slightly exaggerated. So in that, in that one part where you see the woman's arms are extended through the whole side of the stage, um, the fabric stretched quite a bit for that one, we actually had extra long sleeves made and we just like hid them. But um, this idea that it needs to stretch, but it also needs to go back. So a lot of the fabrics that didn't make the cut, they would stretch, but then they would sort of stay there. And then and then the dancers just looked really disheveled. And that's not the point of what I I wanted for this. So we had to play for a little bit with the, with the different fabrics on that. Um, and for this piece, I also worked with a composer I had the privilege of working with Mary Kuyumjian, um, who I had done a very short project with once before for a commission for a, another company, really enjoyed her work and enjoyed working with her. Um, and so we did this, this collaboration together. I, I mainly, I would have to say in the last few years, I've been working with live composers and original commissions and have enjoyed that piece. And it's, um, once I start talking about all the different collaborators that come in with from different art forms. I realize how much dance is, um, it's, it's, you know, dance is the, is, I'm the main author. Dance is the main art form that we're experiencing, but so many other art forms are involved in, in creating, um, in creating the work and, and creating the experience um, that you see. We'll continue our conversation with Helen Simino after the break. If you couldn't join us in person for the virtual premiere of the North Carolina Dance Festival on October 24th, you can still view the films on our website at danceproject.org ncdf2020. You'll find a video compilation of the movement interpretations our five choreographers created of the interactive mural in LaBauer Park in downtown Greensboro as part of our collaborative project with Greensboro Downtown Parks for National Dance Day. We're also sharing Converge, the dance film we created from 20 micro dances, 30 to 60 second dance films, by our selected festival artists. You can also view the full micro dances for all 20 of these choreographers on our website with the artist bios. Thanks to the creative vision of these talented artists and to the fantastic editing by Hannah Sutton, who brought all of these films together. Again, you can find all the films at danceproject.org ncdf2020.
And now back to the conversation with Helen Simino. I don't know if this is a good time. I feel like I've been talking for a while. Uh, a good time if you have any questions about anything I've said so far. I have a question. <laughs> um, well, I loved the the use of the fabric. That was really interesting and cool. And it's neat to understand the process behind how getting it just right. And I think it's motivating, hopefully, to some of the younger artists in the conversation to to fight for your vision a little bit, even if it's not always simple to get there. Um, I would love to hear more about your process with working with a composer and how you approach that. Has that been, um, have you approached it the same way with every composer? Like, do you have a personal way of doing it or does that shift based on who the other artist is? Yeah, that's a great question. It's been pretty um, intuitive. Every composer is slightly different in the way that they like to work. And I think that the way I like to work has changed every every time. I think I get a little bit more clear about what kind of collaboration I want. And I think sometimes the the constraints of, of financial constraints or time constraints can also affect um, how we work together. So the first time I worked with a composer was Jerome Begin. And this was, I met him through ADF and this was like 2009. And I created the entire piece. It was like a, a half hour work uh, with just different sounds, like different things I had pulled. Like, but I knew it wasn't, the, what, I, what we were rehearsing to wasn't going to be the music. I made the whole dance and then I just sent him the video and he made music for it. Uh, I've never done that since, but it was, it was interesting. It was interesting. And he did, he did a, he, he did an excellent job at uh, getting to like what kind of um, sound support I needed, what parts were more, more composed, what parts were more landscaped. And um, yeah, I ended up working with him again, actually, when I went uh, and did a commission at Juilliard. So many years later, but he teaches there, he's on faculty. And so I was like, well, is the ideal time to work together again. We had such a great experience the first time. So he composed something for that piece that I made um, for those students. And in that, in that time, same composer, different method, because we were both um, in the same place, we were working in the same building. I was making the dance at Juilliard and he was there. He could pop into rehearsal, we could talk, you know, like there was just more uh, interaction possible and, and different, being able to listen to music at different stages of the process. Um, the way that I worked with Mary, the piece that Mary Kuyamji and the piece that you just saw, um, that was more um, back and forth. So we, she would send me a few, we taught, we'd have conversation and she'd send me a few tracks, like short tracks that are looped with an idea. And she really understood that in order for me to play with the idea, she had to loop it long enough that I could play with it. Um, there's certain things that some, I think composers that have done work with dance, like they just know, um, they, they know what we what we need in order to give them back some information. And that's the main point is I needed to give her back some information. So um, and then I, work, I worked with those tracks for a bit. Then I would send her footage. She would adjust the idea, expand the idea based on the, the video. And then she would send me back some more music. And every time she would send it back, there'd be more and more and more music. And I would have more and more videos. And then we had a few um, rehearsals together. And we also had the privilege of having her come to on a residency with us. And that was because we had funding specifically for music. So one of the things I've noticed is that it's it's been not so hard to get funding for a new composition, music composition. Um, and so I it's, it's not something that I ever feel like I'm pulling from my small budget to make happen. I always feel like I'm able to get a good grant for that composer. Um, and so throughout the years, that's been, that's been the case. And with Mary, it was. And so because we had a, a funder for the music, we were able to bring her to residency. And we had a residency for a month at University of Buffalo. And she came for a whole week, which was just like, like I've never had that happen where a composer could be there that long. Um, you know, it was really great for the work. And then she also was able to be in North Carolina. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a great, a great collaboration. I definitely feel like that's one that I'll, I'll probably work with her again at some point. Um, but it's, it's a lot of back and forth. And I think with video, there's a lot that you can do, even if you're not in the same place as your collaborators. It's always great to be in the same studio together. 
but I don't think it needs to be that way for the length of the project. Helen, I have another question about collaborators. I mean, maybe it's how to find good collaborators or once you think you might have found somebody that would be good to collaborate with, how you go about working with them in a really productive way. Finding collaborators, I think that's something that initially I would work with the people that are closest to me, like the dancers that were in my company in the beginning were all my classmates and I would work with composers I had been to school with or, you know, just people that are really close by. But then I, um, I also started to see how that was limiting me in terms of the, the type of, it was homogenous. And, and it was just like, we're all of the same training. We're all of the same school We're you know, this isn't bringing new information into, into the process. Um, I also, I also noticed at one point that every composer I had worked with was a white man. And I thought, wow, did, how did I not catch this? Well, <laughs> I, at some point I did. And I thought, okay, I need to be more active about finding out who is making work out there. And that needed to be my responsibility and not, you know, just wait and be like, well, I don't know, you know, I don't know anybody else. Like that's just not going to fly. So I just started reaching out to people. Hey, do you, you know, do you know anybody that you think I would enjoy the work? And, and I would just listen to different composers music and for, it, it was still sort of a, a series of introductions. So asking people, you know, you, you all have those people in your, I'm sure in your life that are in the field that know a lot of people for whatever reason, like they've danced for many companies or they teach somewhere and they intersect with a lot of people or, you know, they, they take class at many summer programs and they just kind of have these relationships. Um, sometimes I think just putting the word out can help just cre create a few per more personal introductions than just finding someone online. Um, but that's always been really fruitful for me. And I think another thing about collaboration that I learned was that it's like any relationship, it's really good to do something small with someone before you do something big. I think also prioritizing my experience, like my experience of the collaboration is really important. And that's something I didn't prioritize ever was my, until a few years ago, was my experience of my own process. Um, and so for me, it's important, like someone can be super talented, but if the communication's not great or um, they disappear on you because they're working on so many projects, like things like that can add a lot of stress to an already stressful situation. And so I've learned and I'm still learning, you know, sometimes there's certain people, it just works really well. Um, and those relationships are so important to, to cultivate and to, and to build on. And um, I think sometimes there's opportunities that have come up that have come from the composer actually, because, you know, they're having their whole, their whole career in, in this other field and our fields intersect in ways that it can be really wonderful. What are some of the challenges, those of you that are making work, what are some of the challenges that you're experiencing? Hi. Hi. I'm Taylor, by the way. Um, I'm a senior at UNCG, a senior dance major, and I'm going into creating my thesis for my senior thesis for next semester. And I think some challenges I've faced so far is just getting started. Like, it seems like such a big undertaking to make like a whole work. So. I'm not sure. I think in thinking about concepts, that's where I get most overwhelmed. Do you have any tips about that maybe? But yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad to meet you. Um, I've done some teaching there before at UNCG. I love UNCG. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the part, I think the part you're talking about is, is really hard, the beginning, the beginning and thinking about um, trying to be present in the beginning without stressing out about the entire big picture but you are accountable to that whole process and you do have to deliver something at the end. So I completely relate. And I have to say for me, that fear, anxiety, whatever it is, um, difficulty, challenge is always there. Every piece I make, it's always there. It's this, um, it's, it can be daunting. And also, especially if you have to write a lot about the process before you even start, I find that difficult. So if you have to write a proposal or if you are writing a grant or several grants, I find it really overwhelming to write a lot about something that I, I haven't even begun experimenting because it feels just so theoretical. And then I somehow feel tied to all of those words. 
um, all of those ideas that I said I would explore. Um, but what I've been trying to do has been to break things up into smaller pieces. So um, I like to break down my methods for making are broken down in different phases. And the first phase, which I find really, really, I think maybe the hardest is um, I don't allow myself to think about the final product as much as possible. So I just make, and I think of like just making and I'll go in the studio and sometimes I'll set myself some limits, like a task, like if, as if I was directing myself, I'll say, okay, I'm going to make a phrase um, to this song, whatever song, as like a five minute song or something like a time something. And then I'm not leaving the studio until I do that. And I, or I have an hour, I'm going to dance nonstop for an hour and film it. Or I have this specific thing I want to explore. I'm just going to go, I'm just going to do it because otherwise sometimes I can find myself in the studio lying on my back and just being like, uh, and then nothing. And then from there, it's so hard to get up and move and do something. So, um, I find if I give myself tasks, that's really helpful so that I'm not uh, wasting my time agonizing. Um, I try to break it up into smaller pieces. So like I said, I can maybe say like, oh, I have, I have rehearsal on Saturday. So I want to make sure I have three phrases to share with the dancers for that rehearsal. And I stop there. I don't go any further in my mind of all the other things I need to do oh, next week and next month. Like I just, like, just think about this one rehearsal. What do I need to do for this one rehearsal? And then whatever comes out of that rehearsal, I also don't feel like I need to digest it all right then. I can just let it sit and let it wash over me and I can just keep outputting and making. And, and, and I have the dancers help me with that. So it's very much collaborative. So it's not all on me to decide where every arm and leg goes for every second of the piece. It's really about being really clear about what my vision is and working with them and they generate stuff. And then it's a conversation. And then once I get to that place, then I can get rolling um, because we're all, we're all working together and we can get to that space. So then I start to see what I want. Sometimes I don't know what I want until I see it. I also think there's in the stages, I think there's also um, something that I've learned to do is to also bring in people to see the work because it holds me accountable to have to make something. So if I have someone coming by at the end of rehearsal, then it holds me to that. Like I have to have something to show. And then also I like to understand how vulnerable, like give my, be compassionate with myself and understanding that it is very vulnerable, especially in the beginning. So maybe the first person that comes to see my work has to be someone that's just like a cheerleader. Like they support me. They're so excited to be there. Like that friend, that friend is who I bring the first time not the most critical person, even though that critical person might be super necessary later. <laughs> yeah. Um, hi, Helen. I'm Sierra. I'm also a senior dance major at UNCG. Yay. <laughs> um, I was really curious about your journey from graduating um, as a dance major and then from freelancing to then becoming a maker and like, how did you create opportunities for yourself, whether to perform or to create things? Just what was that process like of like seeking out things and creating things? Yeah, it was it was rough in the beginning. Uh, I think it's rough for a lot of people that real world first two years out. And um, I ended up moving back to Canada, so um, I couldn't legally work in the U.S. And I had had a couple like really great almost like where you get very far in the audition for the bigger companies and then they were like oh you don't have a green card I'm sorry honey and it's just like ah oh. <laughs> and after that I thought okay I just need to go home and I moved to Montreal and I um I got a job in the weirdest way I was taking what's well, not that weird I guess I was taking class um in the summer after I graduated I was taking class uh at the studio here in Montreal and this a woman came in one day and was watching class. I didn't know her. And then after class, she offered me a, an apprenticeship with her company. Apparently, the, the man who was playing the drums that day was her partner. And he saw me and he thought that she might like me because I reminded him of a dancer she had worked with before. Just random. 
And then, um, so she came when she came that day to watch rehearsal, it was, she was there to watch me, but I didn't know that. <laughs> and then um, I danced for her and I, 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 I really um, learned a lot about incorporating improvisation into process. And um, I really loved being involved in the way that she was working. It was very collaborative. And, and then I also thought while I was doing that, because I was, you know, not dancing as much as I wanted to, it was project based and I thought, well, you know, I'm making all this stuff in this rehearsal with this person and these other dancers. I could, could, I think I could do this for myself. I think that I could go and start to make my own work and then incorporate the people I wanted to dance with. And then I started applying for, um, to showcase my work. And that's just sort of how the ball got rolling. And then when I moved to North Carolina, back to North Carolina, um, I also was in a place like Winston-Salem is an incredible city with a lot of dance happening in the universities, but there's not a ton of dance happening on a professional level. And so having a job as a dancer, not like full-time was just not realistic. It still isn't realistic in that, in, in that city. And so um, I also realized that if I want to keep active in the field, I need to find my own way through it. And I wasn't ready to try to, I was too young to start um, like an academic job. Um, I didn't have a master's degree or anything. And also that wouldn't have been the right choice for me at that time. Um, and so I started making work and I applied for things and I had a lot of friends in New York. And so sometimes I would go up and we would work on stuff or we would present there. Um, yeah. And it just kept going from there. Every, every, every gig that I got led to relationships that led to another something. And, and then from there on the ball kept rolling and, and, um, and shortly after is when I decided to um, form a board and yeah, I found some people. I kept, I kept working with dancers um, that I had been in school with that would then come back to NCSA and we would do all this stuff together. And then I realized like, oh, like, you know, there are resources in Winston-Salem that support me. Um, and there are people who could, who are interested, you know, I was talking to about my Pilates clients, like there are people who are interested, like this could be possible. And so that's when I started building the, the structure. And I, I would say the structure of the company is always in flux. Like I feel like every year based on what our goals and objectives are, based on what the opportunities are that are presenting themselves, I'm constantly honing and changing the structure of the company and how I function, how we function um, to accommodate, yeah, to accommodate um, it's changing time. I mean, especially this year, it's, it's very different. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think there is something to, if what you want to be doing isn't out there being offered to you, then it's, there's, it's just, you have to make it for yourself. You have to find it for yourself and whatever ways that is, if you really want to dance for someone, find a way to get into that rehearsal, you know, find a way to connect with that choreographer. Um, and there's a lot of ways to do that um, outside of just the traditional audition process. I think that there are ways of seeing if you can watch rehearsals, seeing if you can learn something in the back, seeing if you can take a workshop with this person or their class if they teach on a regular basis. And um, to be active about getting yourself in the room, I think is important. And I think sometimes we can get really polite about that and then we end up not being in the room because we're too afraid to ask for what we want. Um, and I think, I think there's definitely moments in my life where I, I could have opened a door for myself and I didn't because I didn't want to bother anybody. Um, and I think once I started being more um, confident about asking people for what I need, or at least just asking them for advice, that's when things really started to happen um, for me as a maker. Hi, I'm Ginger. Hi, Ginger. Um, Helen, I would love to hear you speak a little bit more about what you just referred to a minute ago about um, restructuring um, yeah. as needed, specifically in terms of this year and in terms of the next year of your making and programming and presenting. Um, I think a lot of folks are not talking about it because there's so much uncertainty. Um, so I'm wondering how you're approaching it uh, right now? Yeah, great question. I um, definitely am still, we'll see what happens. But um, one of the things that we've been doing is 
we've been trying to use this time to do to do other things uh, with the company that needed to be done anyway. So restructuring what the even like how how we function. So I have a, a managing director that just came on in January, um, and that has been huge, huge. We we don't have any full time people. It's everything is just really small, um, but there was something super um, lonely about doing it, being the sole sort of leader. And now I have someone else who's leading with me and who is partner and who's actually someone that was in my class at NCSA. (laughs) Um, She had a whole career in dance and then um, has been doing um, the administrative side, the business side and marketing and um, she's fantastic. And so there's the trust and and the history there. And so that's allowed me to really like really look closely and through her questioning and the conversations with her, I'm not, so now I'm not just talking with myself, but I have someone else there to reflect back and um, really figuring out what's important to me, what's important for the work, what's important for the, for me, for the people that work for me, like, what are the things that are essentially like irreducible? What's the core? And I think in the, in this financial um, precarious time, um, it was really important to be clear about okay, what are the things that absolutely must remain in order for this company to survive and to continue. And thinking about everything else being secondary. And so we stopped. Um, we were at a natural stopping point because we had just premiered a work. I had just premiered a work in March, like a week before the work that you saw the video um, a week before the shutdown. And so um, normally we would have been pitching that work as I begin a new work. So we just decided not to begin the new work yet. And I just dove right into all of the um, process of how, how do we take this work that we've premiered, that we've filmed, that we've been working on and, and create all of these virtual offerings for it. Um, spaces where we can have panel discussions around this piece, spaces where we can share share the entire work and have a post-show discussion, even if it's happening online. Um, it's There's like all these ways that the piece can be shared. And so we've pivoted to that and then pivoted to, to honing in on um, what, what things we wanted to go after because there's only two of us and we, our time is and energy is not limitless. So just like anybody else. And so we, we had to really decide what, what was priority. And we just, so we just postponed any creation of new work until um, we also had more secure backing because some of the ways that I work sometimes as I start a project, not knowing if I have all the funding for it, um, because just of the way the timelines of grants happen. Um, but because of the pandemic, it's really unclear. A lot of foundations have just like stopped giving or have, shifted their focus. And so I didn't, uh, I needed to make sure that I had a pretty substantial amount of secured funding before I would even get started. So that's also what what led me to postpone. And then also the fact that we can't, um, we can't get in the studio together yet. Um, But I feel like at this point, what I've been thinking about, I can say is I, I think I might start virtually working with the dancers. I really, really did not want to do that. And now I'm at a point where I've had some experiences teaching workshops and um, I've even, I did a commission for a, com- a ballet company in Miami um, all last week, actually, every day with I was working with them. And I actually found it quite satisfying. So um, I'm, it's, it's made me realize that actually, no, I think I'm not just going to sit back and wait. I'm going to start making, and this will just be a different type of process. It's, that's my plan for now. And then we're continuing to you know use this time. To, I've been writing a lot of grants and doing all of that um, more administrative side of things. But yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I have to say, I don't really know the answer going forward. I, we were... Um, so, so fortunate. A lot of what we worked on during the initial part of the pandemic was the National Dance Project grant through uh, New England Foundation for the Arts. And we had made it, we found out we made it to the second round a little bit after the shutdown. 
and then um, worked on that second round, which is so con so competitive and it's quite a process, um, that grant. So so I just, just dove all into that and I prepared myself to not get it because I emotionally was just like, so, so there was so much disappointment in this process of um, not knowing how this pandemic will, you know, I'm sure you all have your own, your own experiences. It just feels like a scab that just kept, keeps getting ripped. Um, and I had just decided, okay, I'm going to put everything I can into this grant. And if I, and I'm just going to know I'm not going to get it. I just said that. I was like, I know I'm not going to get it, but I'm just going to do it to my best ability. And I got the grant. And so, um, <laughs> yay. <laughs> so it means it's enough funding. Like it's not, it's not going to fund the entire project because the, it's a big project, but it's just like a, a huge nug, nugget of like, now I know the project can happen, right? It's enough for me to, to really feel responsible in moving forward with beginning rehearsals and, and really solidifying my relationships or my um, understandings with the, with the collaborators that I have been speaking to. And finally, we can start to set things in motion. But I would say like, we just, I, we just started talking about setting a schedule like last week. So it's all very recent um, and it might change. I think that there is something related to what I was talking about earlier in terms of um, as a dancer, finding a way to get yourself in the room or making my own work because I wanted to be dancing more. Um, I, think in, I think of that sort of mindset in this particular pandemic moment. Um, even that I'm, I'm not waiting for like the venues or the presenters to tell me what it's going to look like. Um, I've been pretty proactive about what presenters I want to work with and, and how creative they're willing to be in this moment. And we even have like, as part of our, um, our NDP grant, we, we, we're in conversation with different presenters. And as part of this project, this new piece is going to have a film component. So I'm working with a filmmaker. Um, interestingly enough, she also is in my class. <laughs> totally full circle. I don't know how that happened. Um, but she's she's a filmmaker and she does a lot of films with uh, with dance and as the main focus. And so um, we built that into this project. So we're thinking about the way that this project will be shared it's, it's not limited to this one format that we're used to, which is the stage version. Now that version will exist, but um, we're thinking about the film version and we're also thinking about different um, conversations or panel discussions that we're going to build around the concepts and the themes that are a part of this piece. And so in a way we're sort of breaking up, we're trying to break up the ways that the work can be shared and that there might be multiple access points um, that live beyond the live performance um, and that the live performance can be perhaps if we don't get to it till later there'll be other parts that can be shared sooner um, and that's a that's a way for me to not let it all be in someone else's control and to have a to feel like I have a little more control over how my work is created and shared, even in this moment where I feel like I have very little control. There's certain ways that I feel I can um, create it for myself still. Hi, I have a quick question. Um, when you just said something about um, making a film, it kind of jogs this um, project that we're doing in my modern dance class. So I'm a UNC student. And then we're taking uh, my class of modern dance and she assigned us with a project to make a dance film. And obviously this will be the first time that most of us are making a dance film. So I just wanted to ask if you had any advice for someone who's trying to make a dance film for the first time, um, what would you suggest that they do? That's a great question. I just hired someone, so I don't know if I'm the right person <laughs> to tell you. I, th I think it's, um, I think one of the things that I've encountered in the bit of film stuff that I've done is to let go, to really separate it from being a documentation of a dance. And so that the film can be its own piece of art that stands on its own. And it's not meant to be um, a vehicle for, but rather it is. Um, and so, 
guess what I'm trying to say is to look at framing and what are all the things about making a dance that you that allow that give you um, opportunities that you wouldn't be able to have on stage or in 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 live um, sharing. So one of those is just the fact that you can edit and you can change locations and you can you can frame you can you can pull people's eye exactly to where you want it to be. Whereas in in dance, I think sometimes if we want people to zoom in. We have to create something where nothing else is happening around so that the audience zooms in, right? But when you have the camera, you can you can make that choice in a more clear cut way. So I think there's some really fun opportunities that you could play with that you might not get a chance to play with in the same way. And it could inform your dance making going forward. Um, it's just a different way of working. So I guess the advice, general advice I would say is just to really, um, to think of this opportunity not as a consolation prize for not being able to make a dance in person, but really think of it as an opportunity to really frame your directorial, directorial eye in a way that um, will best serve the project, but then might, might also feed into your, the rest of your compositional work. Does that make sense? Yes, thank you so much. Wow, thank you so much for talking with us tonight. It was really great to hear about I guess throughout your career, the ways that you've been really flexible and adaptable to um, to keep refining and honing and redirecting your vision. Um, and, and those skills I think are, are good ones for all of us to be thinking about right now, as we've talked about how to create opportunities, even when we don't see what that clear path might be or when there hasn't already been a clear path um, laid out for us. So thank you very much. Thanks for joining me for this community conversation with Helen Simino. See our show notes for more about Helen and how to keep up with her exciting projects. We'll have more community conversations and other topics throughout the spring of 2021. Be sure to join our mailing list from our website at danceproject.org and follow Dance Project on social media to keep up with upcoming festival events and other Dance Project news. You can find us on Instagram at Dance Project Inc. and on Facebook at NC Dance Festival. Thanks for listening. The North Carolina Dance Festival 30th anniversary is supported by the National Endowment for the Arts, the North Carolina Arts Council, Lincoln Financial Foundation, Ecolab Foundation, and Stearns Financial Group. We need the support of individual donors and business sponsors as well to make possible the innovative work that North Carolina dancers are creating, bring students meaningful experiences with the arts, and strengthen the community through dance. To make a donation towards this season's festival fund, please visit danceproject.org ncdf2020. Thank you.